The views expressed on Geeks and Beats are those of the participants alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of their employers. Well, uh, I am quite literally in my parents' basement in a small town north of Winnipeg. We are here because uh, this is the week of our 25th wedding anniversary. Fran, you remembered! How could I ever forget the happiest day of my life? Oh, happy anniversary, happy anniversary, happy anniversary, happy anniversary. Well, thanks, fellas. It sure was. We got married out here back in 1990, so as one wag put it, um, we are here returning to the scene of the crime to celebrate uh, this, this auspicious occasion. I would have thought the reason why you did it in your parents' basement in small town Manitoba was that you couldn't afford to do it up big in a giant cathedral. 25 years later, why are you going back to the scene of the crime? Aren't you supposed to be blowing the load? We were going to go to Bordeaux in France. We were going to fly to Paris, take the TGV, then rent a car and hit a number of Michelin-starred restaurants. Uh, however, um, work got in the way as well as, as, as certain finances. Uh, that would have been a very expensive trip. As you've noticed that the Canadian dollar has gone through the floor and uh, the euro has been remained stubbornly high, uh, that, that kind of got kiboshed. So we'll see. I'm looking at your wedding day photos here. Between the stash and the mullet, I'm surprised it lasted 25 minutes, let alone 25 years. <laughs> here we go. From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, now with 1.2 billion subscribers on iTunes and GeoCities, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. It may be the end of the road for Rush, but there's some good news. We'll look back at a classic science fiction film for evidence of lazy prop making. Search your feelings. You know it to be true. Now that Apple has completely forked your music library with its latest app update, the Cupertino California company has set its sights on the advertising industry. Plus, a Geeks and Beats update on our big giveaway and why Macy Gray won't be played at Alan's 25th anniversary night. I didn't say that. Better stock up on batteries. Opinions are like the Blackberry Bold. You find them everywhere, but nobody's impressed with them. And now, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. It's the end of the road for Rush, or is it? Well, okay, here's uh, last weekend, last uh, Saturday, I was at uh, the MGM Grand in uh, Las Vegas for what apparently was the fourth last show Rush will ever play. The fourth last show. Yeah, they're going to play uh, Las Vegas, then Phoenix, then Irvine, California, and then the Forum in Los Angeles uh, on Saturday, this past Saturday. And uh, the the indications are that this, this is it. Two of the guys want to continue. They're having more fun than they've ever had in, in their lives. So who's that? That's Alex and Getty. Uh, Neil, the drummer, is is, is not so interested in continuing on anymore he's really looking forward to retiring he wants to live in california and just go off and do his own little project so he's not really crazy about going on the road anymore he doesn't even travel with the uh, with the other guys what he does they take uh, they take private jets this guy rides the crew bus because he's got his motorcycle and he likes to ride between gigs ah very cool yeah so he's always been kind of a loner the other two guys live in toronto um neil lives in california 
and and he's just tired of the whole thing apparently and would like to move on and do other things now this doesn't mean that this is the end of rush this means the end of rush is a touring entity they may still put out albums well they may still put out albums there is talk of a, of a movie project based around an, of a, around an album they did called clockwork angels but as for the band actually continuing on i mean i was talking to some of the members of the crew and they're just kind of like you know, we, this is all we've done for 40 years. I, I, we don't know whether we've got any these jobs that we have right now for... What are you doing taking it? You took a selfie of yourself? No, I took a picture of you so we could show everybody Why? what ridiculousness is behind you. Oh, yes. Oh, hey, can we just... I'll just go there. Can you see all my mom's bowling trophies? Those are your mom's bowling trophies? Yes, yes, they are. Uh, oh, there's a bowling trophy. There's a, uh, uh, there's a curling trophy. There's no world's best mom trophy? What is this? What kind of a wayward son are you? This is some sort of uh, karaoke finalist (laughs) trophy. (laughs) So music runs in the family is what you're saying. This is where you got it. You're back to the source. Hang on. Let me just go over here and um, hang on. Oh, my gosh. What is that hanging from the wall? Oh, yeah. Oh, Oh, he's showing us his violin. But he's taken his headphones off, so he has no idea that I'm really interested in this ridiculous photo that's hanging behind. Okay. Hang on, hang on. Back up. What is that a picture of hanging on the wall over there? Oh, no, that's uh, that's my dad playing guitar at at some um, function, family function. That looks like it could be a 1970s album cover in and to itself. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. Wow. They say you can never go home again, yet you do. Oh, there's the stereo. Uh, uh, it's okay. Hey, remember, remember these? Yeah. Yeah. Where you pull down, and there's the turntable inside, and uh, oh, he swears that it's, it's. So basically, what you're saying is your Manitoba home is like a time capsule from 1973. I'm saying it's like a flea market from 1973. <laughs> Okay, so at the end of the day, Rush may, it may be the end of the road, as in the touring road for Rush, but it won't necessarily mean the end of Rush as a musical entity. This is what everybody is hoping, but again, these guys are in their 60s, they've been around for 40 years, I mean, this was the Rush 40 tour, Um, you know, they've made an awful lot of money over the past couple of years doing these tours, plus they recently sold the publishing catalog for $20 million. These guys are not going to hurt for money for the rest of their lives. Their heirs are not going to hurt for money for the rest of their lives. So the point is, you know, we've maybe maybe it's time to go out on top. You know, maybe it's time to go out on a high rather than beat this to death for another couple of tours. The enthusiasm wanes. And then, you know, we're limping through the last couple of shows on the last tour that we do. Why not just have this this big blowout and, uh, and, and just kind of move on? Now, Rush has pushed pause on their career a number of other times in the past. So this could just be a temporary thing. Maybe it's a hiatus for three or four years. But by the time they get back to it, you know, they're going to be in their middle 60s, and they put on three-hour shows. And they are very demanding, very physical three-hour shows. And I was talking to a bunch of guys who actually make Neil Peart's drums. Uh, they work for a company called Drum Workshop in, uh, in California. They came out for the show. And these guys are in their upper 20s or, uh, or, or lower 30s, and they look at Neil and they go, my God, we can't. I mean, the endurance this guy exhibits over three hours every single night over the course of a tour. I mean, we can't do it. He can, and he's in his 60s. 
you pointed out an interesting thing about Pert's drums. Oh, this was the coolest. Now, the reason I got into playing drums myself was because I was a Rush fan. And uh, I got up on stage, uh, thanks to Megan, who is uh, one of their manager uh, management team. And I was introduced to Lorne Wheaton. Uh, Lorne is the guy that has been working with Neil on his drums forever. And uh, they have this new kit that was put together by DW, Drum Workshop. And they have a weirdo vice president at DW who scours the world, world for exotic woods. And somehow he came across a log an oak tree that had been dredged out of the river Alt in Romania. And they carbon dated this log, and it turns out to be 1,500 years old. Wow. So they hauled this log back to California, dried it out, and turned it into a, a brand new set of drums for Neil, uh, between 9 and 12 ply. Uh, and then they created some snares. I think they created 250 snares of the wood that was available. What does 9 or 12 ply mean? Oh, it's it's you in layers. It's like toilet paper. Uh, drums come in, 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 it's not solid wood. You have layers. Right. They don't hollow out a tree to make a drum kit. No, no, no. They take they take wood and they bend it into a circle. And it can be you know a number of layers that create the shell of the drum. So, so what's the difference between a 9 or a 12 or a 24 or a 3? Well, you would have between, you know... I guess eight and twelve ply. It, it has to, it, it shapes the sonic characteristics of the drum. Depends on how thick the plies are. Depends on the on the uh, the the resonance of the wood. A bunch of other things. This is this is all the voodoo and the science of drum making. So, in other words, his drum kit is specific to him, and that sound cannot be replicated. It can't because you've got this fifteen hundred year old wood in the shells. First of all, setting out to replace supplant the uh, time machine clockwork angels kit was daunting to say the least because we couldn't really hope to transcend that and decided, well, why bother? Let's, let's sidestep here and go in a different direction. And this happens to be the 40th anniversary of the band. They said we wouldn't last. Um, our 40, and I thought back, okay, 10 years ago already, our 30 kit, I thought of that design because it had been very personal to me in a number of ways that will outline. I thought, what if we do an upgrading of that? And then long about that time came a new technology uh, of wood inlays from a company in Indiana with um, Doug and Eric supervising that kind of work. It's super fine marquetry, I think it's technically called, in which all of these designs are made from separate pieces of wood and inlaid into the mother wood, as it were. So some of the aspects of the R30 kit, for instance, the red oblongs that go around it were drawn from Keith Moon's Pictures of Lily Kit, the paragon of drum sets when I was a, a teenager. So um, that was kind of a reflection of uh, that. The black with the red oblongs was a, was a feature of those. And then each of the logos was chosen to replicate um, certain ones from different Russian albums, not uh, by favorites or, or most popular or anything, just ones that would look nice. And he not only does he have two kits, he has uh, the, 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 when he was on this particular tour, there was the, the kit that he played on the first half of the show, uh, which was set up in the more modern way. He's been taking drum lessons from a, from a guy named Frank who was just like a super, super teacher. And uh, he changed the way he, he played in terms of uh, the ergonomics of uh, this, the setup. So he had that kit. Then at the back, there was another kit, which was set up in the classic 1976 way when he was playing a manufacturer called Slingerland. And it's, it's completely, you know, so when you get back into doing the, this Rush stuff from the 1970s, he plays that kit. And again, this is made from 1,500-year-old wood. Fantastic. I mean, as a drummer standing behind this stuff, it was just awesome to watch. Okay, so since you geeked out about drums, when we come back, 
I'm going to geek out about Star Wars. And you are going to like this because it actually peels back the curtain on the ridiculousness of 1970s prop making. Fair enough. I'm all yours. You're listening to Geeks and Beats on iTunes, Stitcher, and the Bell Media Radio Network. So you got to geek out about Rush. I want to geek out about Star Wars here. And this is five dumb accidents that made Star Wars a classic. This is the kind of stuff that I actually like. It's cinematic history, so I will, uh, I'll indulge you. How's that? Uh, this is from Jim Dotty uh, at uh, crack.com. And uh, we were hoping to get him on the big show. We had some technical difficulties. So Jim, we appreciate your patience on that. But uh, he runs down the top five. And number five on the list is the iconic Death Star trench battle was invented by a lazy model maker. Luke, at that speed, would you be able to pull out in time? It's just like Beggar's Canyon back home. Okay, so you're talking about the Meridian Trench, right? This um, equatorial, this equatorial gap that separates the two halves of the Death Star. Apparently, the uh, designer of it was uh, trying to put together in the early days this sphere, and the problem was was that the two halves of it kept separating over time, and he had two solutions: either he could get out the model clay and the sandpaper and spend an awful lot of time dismantling and remantling the thing, or he could do what he did. He called up George Lucas and said, why don't we just build a little trench into the script and that's where they can have their battle? Well, that's kind of clever. I mean, saves in the work. And, you know, that becomes one of the most iconic battle scenes in the history of science fiction, right? What would you do if it wasn't for the trench? Exactly. That's what created not only that big scene at the end, but also opened it up for sequels. When Darth Vader's TIE fighter goes spinning off into space, you wonder, is he dead? Is he alive? Will he come back? Well, of course, we know he came back. All right. Well, uh, that's a cool story. Again, you, you know, there's, there's a bit of cinematic history there that results from a mistake. I like that. Dottie was telling me that he didn't think that he deserved credit for compiling this list because so many had come before him on this, but he put it together in a really neat way. For example, the land speeder that Luke Skywalker is whipping across the dunes of Tatooine in, mm -hmm. in the driver's seat of the land speeder, Steve Austin, the $6 million man. What? What do you mean? The actual action figure that they used was him just wearing a brown robe for Obi-Wan Kenobi. Oh, that's hysterical. Really? So Obi-Wan Kenobi is also a $6 million man Steve Austin action figure, and Luke is in a white one. <laughs> that's funny. Now, I suspect you were a little too old for the $6 million man action figure, which was one of the first real indications that this was not a doll, even though it was taller than a Star Wars toy. This was an action figure. And he had the uh, the ability to see in the distance because, of course, he had the bionic eye. Do you remember this? His left eye, yes. Right. No, I'm correct. Left eye. Once or twice in history, something new comes along. Something so different, so exciting, it defies the imagination. This year, Kenner has that something. The Six Million Dollar Man. Turns out that, of course, they had to hollow through the thing so that they could fit in the optics so that you as a kid could look through the, the eyeball itself and see into the distance. That was really creepy. It is really creepy. Okay. Yeah. 
See, I'm not surprised at some of these things because you know, here is an example of an iconic series of movies that you know that the fans are going to absolutely document, 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 document forever and ever and ever. Uh, yet I've never heard of these things because I'm not one of these people. Exactly. You also probably didn't know that the model maker for the helmets used for the stormtroopers was actually very poorly done. I was always very suspicious of the stormtrooper helmets. I thought they looked kind of impractical and cheap. And if you get a good close look at it, maybe you've got the HD or the Blu-ray version of the film, you can see that they're not all perfectly identical. How long have you had these droids? About three or four seasons. They're up for sale if you want them. Hey, I want a droid, sir. You can't have a droid, Phil. Let me see your identification. You don't need to see his identification. No, Grandpa, I do need to see his identification. These aren't the droids you're looking for. Of course they are. There's the gold one and there's the little white one. These aren't the droids you're looking for. Dude, you can keep saying that, but it doesn't make it any more true. Move along. Hey, don't tell me to move along. I'm the one with the gun. You guys want to back me up on this? You got the gun, Sarge. Damn straight I do. Oh, oh, that's rank. Oh, go. Just get out of here. I don't need the droids that bad. Man, there is nothing worse than old Jedi. Apparently, in the second film, when they went back to get them, they had found that the model mold itself had started to collapse on one side, so they're not perfectly symmetrical. <laughs> Imagine wearing one of these things. God, it must have been hot and uncomfortable. They used high-density polyethylene plastic, the same material that you would use for a fish pond or one of those plastic canoes. Oh, God, it would have been awful. The problem was the material was a greenish tan, which, you know, dead lizard color for a stormtrooper is not particularly frightening. So they just basically used spray paint and the spray paint had a tendency to rub off over time. Uh, well, see, but, you know, you're a stormtrooper. You would think that your helmet would get a couple of uh, scuffs here and there. That makes sense. Particularly considering they could never shoot straight in the first place. and They're always banging their heads. You know, this kind of brings me back to, do you remember the original TV uh, version of Battlestar Galactica? Yes. Okay, there was, towards the end of Battlestar Galactica, the series, the original one, they went on some sort of Cylon raid. Mm -hmm. And everybody had their spacesuits on and their helmets. And I remember as a kid watching this, thinking, those aren't helmets. Those aren't space helmets. Those are CCM hockey helmets. <laughs> and as a Canadian, you would recognize that. I knew right away they were black CCM hockey helmets from the mid-70s. If you were playing hockey back then, you know exactly what the shape I'm talking about. And this is what Starbuck and everybody was wearing to go, uh, you know, beat up these silence. If you're a big fan of the show, you know, of the movie Star Wars, you know IG-88. He's one of the bounty hunters in the scene uh, where Darth Vader is hiring them to go off and find uh, uh, Luke Skywalker. IG-88's head shows up as a prop, not only in that scene, but also in the scene where uh, Aunt Beru and Uncle Owen have been uh, vaporized. He's in the cantina scene, and he's later on in um, one of the layers of uh Jabba the Hutt. What, one of, oh, the lay. <laughs> I thought L A Y E R S, not L A I R S. I thought why he was in his rolls of fat. And as as a Battlestar Galactica guy, maybe you were also a fan of Space 1999. Absolutely, with uh, with uh, uh, Martin Martin Caden. No, uh, Martin Landau. 
Landau, thank you, and Barbara Bain. The original Millennium Falcon was scrapped because it looked like the Eagle from Space 1999, but they reused that ship as the blockade runner at the very beginning of the very first film. It is the most detailed model they've got, and they used it for all of eight seconds. Look at that. Yeah, I see it now. London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, this is a GNB News Update. We have, for the third straight week, Mike Yurkovich as the producer, the co producer of this big show. Um, and that's because it's the middle of summer and nobody else is actually taking the time to contribute. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, we also have Nick uh, Aldorati. Sure. We also have Nick Aldorati, who's uh, a new intern on the world's worst intern program. Rob Frimmer has uh, been uh, throwing a couple of bucks our way for quite some time now. We also want to thank uh, Blaine Bartlett, as well as uh, Dave McCauley, Barry Much, uh, Mike Benninger, who also got us hooked up uh, with uh, the folks over at Power Stick so that uh, we can have the big giveaway on the big show. Oh, so we're giving... Did we start giving away a Power Stick last week? We're in uh, week two. Uh, of course, we'll give it away on the big season finale episode, August 19th. Okay. Here's how it works is you have to be a member of the world's worst intern program. In other words, you have to uh, pledge a dollar an episode for the big show. At least you can set a lifetime limit. But every time you pledge, every time you contribute one dollar to an episode, that is one raffle ticket in the big show. So the limited edition Geeks and Beats Power Stick 3 features the ability to charge your smartphone from zero to 100 percent. Or if you got a flip phone like a billion times. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah, that would be very if you had a Nokia, it would probably charge it for the end of time. Four LED lights indicate the charge. If you do not have any lights lit, you do not have a charge. It is also case and accessory friendly, meaning you don't have to pull your phone out of the case to be able to charge it. And because it's very stick-like in nature, it resembles a pack of gum uh, in your pants. And we are advising you not to eat the limited edition of the Geeks and Beats Power Stick 3. It's certainly better than maybe one of those. Uh, well, I have this. I can't remember who made it. It's not Moby. It's a cheaper version of the Moby for my iPhone. And uh, I, I hate having to peel off the, the case. I hate having to have the uh, the external USB thing that plugs in the bottom. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. Yep. But uh, this this would be something, you know, when I'm. My, how long does your iPhone last? My iPhone lasts probably a day and a half. Now that I've got the new car with the Bluetooth always on, Bluetooth tends to chew up a fair amount. And also chewing up the Bluetooth, the flower power I just got. Which is what? That is from Parrot. It's a little thing that looks like a leaf that sticks in your soil of your plant. And via Bluetooth will inform you whether or not it needs to be watered. So you're getting a day and a half. Why am I only getting about eight hours? Uh, probably because you're on your phone way more often than I am. And I've got the Apple Watch, which means that a lot of the notifications that I would normally have to look at the phone and respond to, I've got the app on the watch and I don't have to deal with it. Yeah, because I've shut off all my notifications. I try to keep my Wi-Fi to a minimum when there's no Wi-Fi around. I try to, uh, you know, I've, I've turned down the screen. That sounds like a dead battery. Well, now. yeah, you know, the iPhone 6S is going to be coming out in September. I'll get one of those. So <laughs> There you go. Uh, Built-in obsolescence. Yep. So if you would like to uh, win yourself this limited edition GMB Power Stick 3, uh, it's worth about 100 bucks or so, and you could get it for just a buck. Go to geeksandbeats.com, click the support the show link, become a member of the world's worst intern program. By the way, I had a meeting this past week with some potential um, sponsors. 
Hmm. Last week, we talked about the fact that uh, radio stations don't seem to give out bumper stickers anymore. And GNB listener slash writer Patrick Charles pointed out one other big reason, in addition to the fact that we don't have chrome on our cars anymore and we don't want to stick it on the paint, is that most people, or a lot of people, lease their cars now. Oh, that's a very good point. I leased my car. Did you buy or, or finance or, or... We bought. You bought. Oh, okay. Yeah, not... Uh, I get that reaction a lot, but we own a car for a good 10 years, like we did with the last one, and we uh, paid about three extra grand for the bumper-to-bumper extendo warranty. So this thing is covered for seven straight years. See, I get bored with my car after about three years, so leasing is the option for me. Right. So maybe you don't want to put a bumper sticker on, but as we talked last week, also license plate frame. So you said to me you would put a license plate frame that was Geeks and Beats if, in fact, we had one. I've built one for you. You have? Yes. You've built one or we've actually had one commissioned by some factory someplace in China? It is both. I have built it. The factory is Cafe Press. And if you go to geeksandbeats.com and click on the swag store, you can own one for free. It's only 15 bucks. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> Want to help me with that math business guy? Well, we talked about the fact that both bumper stickers and license plate frames were always swag that radio stations gave away for free. Right. So in that vein, since we don't have this massive budget, we can't give them away for free. But instead, we will give them away for fourteen ninety nine plus shipping and we make absolutely zero on it ourselves. Oh, oh, okay. Okay, hang on here. So let's just do it. So I'm going to follow through right now. Mm -hmm. If you want to keep talking, I'm going to order. All right. Now, here's what you need to know, because we actually had a bit of a response on the Twitter sphere about this. You Not only do you get an option of either the Geeks and Beats uh, free for 15 bucks license plate frame in white, black, or silver. There's the G&B free bumper sticker for only $3.49 plus shipping. It comes in both white and clear in case you want to go that route. Cool. Yeah be a neat way to go. go but here's my warning to you cafe press rips off canadians with a 40 percent exchange rate oh. so what is it a dollar in american funds is a buck 40 in canadian but in the top right corner of the item page if you select the usd instead of cad you get a better rate on the loonie by going with the conversion and paying in u.s dollars than in canadian dollars directly so if you are one of those who wanted to support the big show and just show it off we're not making a dime off these so what we want you to do is to take a picture put it on the twitter Sphere tag us so that we can, in fact, know that you do love us because we're really desperate that way. Yeah. Okay. So if I click on black. Yeah. Okay. Where do I go from there? Oh, well, I suppose it would help if I put the link in there. Yes. The buy now link. Wow. Good thing you checked on that. Yes. All right. So it's it'll be fixed by the time everybody else hears this. Okay, good. All How right. Embarrassing. <laughs> I know. They took the credit for your second symphony. Rewritten by machine on new technology. And now I understand the supernova scene. and Beats update on something we were talking about on the big uh, show, activating the FM chip in cell phones. That's coming because it's already here. Yeah, this is rather interesting. I wrote a column on this for the Metro papers that should be, well, by the time you hear this, it should have been published. Um, there is 
every single smartphone that's out there right now, it doesn't matter who makes it, LG, um, Samsung. I- what, do you mean my iPhone has an FM chip in it? Yes, it has a very, it's got a, a long numerical name. There is an FM chip in it. I don't know what the genesis of this was. I don't know why all smartphones have this FM chip. Let alone not accessed. Well, okay, so there's four radios in every smartphone. There is your cellular data phone uh, radio. Mm -hmm. There is your Wi-Fi radio. There is your Bluetooth radio. And there is your FM chip radio. Now, it's sitting there, but it has never really, it's never been, uh, most manufacturers have never, ever activated it because, well, why would you? Because that means that you would be getting free broadcasts and not chewing up your data, which means that's a a sales, uh, that's that's a revenue issue for you. But Sprint in the U.S., and now AT&T in the U.S. has decided that they are going to activate the chip using um, a really cool app called Next Radio, which allows you to hear local FM broadcasts, local over-the-air FM broadcasts, and it ties it in with this really cool graphical interface that allows you to be very interactive with uh, not only the radio station, but anybody else who may be using the app. I'm looking at this right now. It does consume data, this next radio, but I suppose that's because it's also supporting what's already available on the FM stream and enhancing it? Yeah, uh, what you're doing is not chewing up as much data as you would because you're not taking any audio in. This looks like it's only for Android, however. It is only for Android at the moment. iPhone has, uh, Apple has not, or any uh, networks that have iPhones have not activated the chip. You can understand why Apple would probably say, you don't want to do this because we got this thing called Beats One, which is our radio station. We want you to be listening to us, not your local radio stations. Yeah, they're never going to do that. A variety of FM lobby groups or a variety of broadcasting lobby groups in the United States, the UK and in Canada say that, listen, this should be uh, activated uh, mandatorily because if there is a situation where the power grid goes down, you're going to want to be able to communicate to people and uh, an FM radio is a way to do it. This is a test of the emergency broadcast system. Exactly. Um, I, my, my, my love of Apple is really being put to the test with this new iOS 8.4 update that gave me Apple Music and broke my music app. Oh, did it break yours too? It didn't break it the way it broke most people's insofar as the playlists disappeared or music was here or music was not here. They broke it in the form of functionality. It is the most complicated unnecessarily complicated music app I have ever seen in my life. When I play a song, it, instead of popping up with my now playing screen, it puts a little sliver near the bottom of the screen that if I didn't know any better, I wouldn't drag it upwards so that I could see what I was currently playing. But the thing that really bugs me, the iTunes genius feature has been totally buried within the app. See, I don't even, I've never used the iTunes Genius feature. I mean, I, I, isn't it supposed to... Okay, well, wait a second. So is, wasn't the For You supposed to replace that? No, because it doesn't. And so if you want... And it, it's funny because all my Android friends are going, ha, 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 the Genius app, feature still exists within music where but it doesn't admit it doesn't exist if for the song you're currently playing if it if you select the history of what you have been playing and then the three little dots it pops up with an add to genius capability but otherwise i'm out of luck all i've got is this uh, make available offline or even worse 
create a station based upon this, which it's now then sucking data off my cellular plan. No, I am not happy with this at all. Uh, my problem lies with the fact that uh, all my playlists, while they still exist in iTunes and on my on my Mac, uh, they are nowhere to be found on my uh, on my iPhone. And it turns out that somewhere along the line, see so if I go to my music and click on playlists, the only and I click on all playlists, the only playlists I have are the songs that I've purchased from iTunes. All of the other dozen or so playlists that I've carefully curated over the past couple of years are nowhere on my device. I go to iTunes, I try to sync everything up, and I can't. Apparently, the problem is that uh, there, there's uh, the, the, the XML um, file that is my iTunes library has been corrupted. So I've been combing through the interwebs looking for a solution to this, and I think I found it, but I'm, I'm, I'm loath to try it. Uh, because you know, you got to call up a terminal window, and you got to go into this deep library, and then you got to label something old, and then you have to read. Uh, it's there's just so many steps to it, and I, I'm I'm afraid to do it because uh, you know one of the other problems is that that I store my music not on my Mac but on an external drive. Oh, so that just complicates matters even more. Right. So my iTunes library user xml file is on that external drive in the basement someplace right so uh, you know and i don't know which oh it's just a nightmare you know, you're not the only one apple screwing here you know who else apple's screwing who the advertising industry in what sense ios 9 is coming within the next few months it's due out in september and it will embed by default ad blocking really Yes. So while I'm quite upset with Apple right now, come September when iOS 9 comes out and hopefully they fix the music app, they may also have fixed the business of the ad industry by building in the ability to block almost all of these advertisements that pop up whenever you're surfing the web on a smartphone. Okay, let's go back to iOS 9. Yes, apparently it's getting a refresh. Apple Music is getting a complete refresh for iOS 9. Uh, couldn't come soon enough. But ad blocking, I mean, that's, well, doesn't Apple own a piece of some sort of online network? Apple is in a very interesting place. They have made a conscious decision to go against Google. Google is all about following you and abusing your privacy so that they can feed you ads that are more targeted towards what you may or may not be interested in purchasing. Apple, with the Apple Pay service that they rolled out, said, we don't want to know anything about you. It's not our job to know what you bought, how much you're spending, where your money is, how much money you've got. And then it looks like they're doing the same thing with their smartphone on large by saying we don't want advertisers to be able to track you the way they've been doing so if you go to a standard industry website anything really these days of any size and scale you will find that a remarkably high percentage of the bandwidth you're consuming is tied to all of the little tracking code components of multiple sites and it's bogging down your browsing capability it is uh, i noticed this on my pc i have a uh, um, um uh, an adware blocking um, scanner that goes through every morning at nine o'clock and yanks out all these uh, tracking cookies. So this is what it's intended to try to avoid is, is the ability to track you in an, uh, an ubiquitous way as you go about your daily life. So I can only imagine there's going to be tremendous blowback against Apple when this really hits the tape. And I 
could see it coming in the form of, hey, I noticed you're using an ad blocker. Certain features of this website are now disabled for you. This is going to be a real cold war brewing. It is. Now, when you say ad blocking, it's blocking by Safari or blocking... The Safari web browser on the iOS device, so whether it's your um, iPhone or your tablet, your iPad, it will automatically start blocking those ads for you. See, and the problem is that you can't change your default browser on your iOS device. It's always Safari. So I can only imagine there's going to be a settings option in there to be able to disable it for certain websites. And I can imagine there's only one type of website, Mr. Cross, that uh, you would want to enable ad blocking. Uh, The ones that may get certain people in trouble with certain spouses. On their 25th wedding anniversary in the parents' basement. It's in my will that the first thing that's, if I go, the first thing somebody has to do is delete my browser history. (laughs) So with your 25th wedding anniversary in mind, you have decided that we need to talk about Macy Gray. Macy Gray has uh, written a song called B.O.B., which stands for Battery Operated Boyfriend. And yes, it is exactly what you think. we've been trying to do on my website, ajournalofmusicalthings.com, is we've been trying to compile a list of songs written about uh, battery-operated boyfriends. Mm -hmm. And we've managed to come up with three. So we've got Macy Gray and B.O.B. There is another song called Vocal Improv with Vibrator from... Um, Sukian Lee, remember her from MTV? Oh, yeah, from Much Music. From Much Music, yeah. She yes. uh, she was a comedian as well. Right. She had a 1994 album called Lavinia's Tongue, and uh, again, there's a song on there called Vocal Improv with Vibrator. And then somebody on my site, who was it? It was Stan on my site says that the Dresden Doll song Coin Operated Boy was uh, about such a device. So we've got the three songs, and we're, we're looking for more. If you can think of any songs written about uh, battery-operated boyfriends, I would love to, to hear from you, simply because I think that we would like... Well, we basically want to beat BuzzFeed to the punch and, and create a list before they do. <laughs> a listicle, as it were. Uh, yes. About battery-operated boyfriends. It, this just sort of reminds me of that... Uh, what year was that? King Missile's Detachable Penis, 1992? Yes. I woke up this morning with a bad hangover and my penis was missing again. This happens all the time. It's detachable. This comes in handy a lot of the time. I can leave it home when I think it's going to get me in trouble. That was a weird song. There were a bunch of weird songs like that that came out back then. Remember Bloodhound Gang? That was another weird band. They had a song called Foxtrot Uniform Charlie... Uh, what, what is... What, Foxtrot what's K? Uniform Charlie... Oh, geez, the K. Yes, no. Now, now I know where you're going with this. What's the point? Well, <laughs> I don't know. But uh, anyway, it was, it was, what is, what is, what is K in, in, in aeronautical terms? What is K in, here, you look that up. Uh, I, now I'm hooked on Detachable Penis, <laughs> which was the 92 song. I, I'm reading this on the internet, so it must be true, from the album Happy Hour, which reached number 25 on the Billboard Modern Rock Tracks. 
Uh, frontman John S. Hall recites a deadpan monologue in which he portrays the owner of such a member. And after a night of heavy drinking, he awakes in his East Village home to find that he has left his penis somewhere. Kilo. Kilo is, okay. Yes. So, Foxtrot Uniform Charlie uh-huh. Kilo. Uh-huh. Yeah. Can I, do I have to bleep that stuff out? I don't think so. I, I, I didn't. This is the NATO phonetic alphabet. How did we get from this uh, off N- Macy Gray? Whatever happened to Macy Gray? Is this her big comeback or something? She disappeared for a very long time. Sure did. Um, and then this is her comeback, I suppose. Oh, okay, wait. Uh, maybe we should use it in the term. Uh, this is her return to the stage. There we go. Her last album was like the sellout, 2010, 2011 or so. No, no, she came up with something after that, didn't she? I don't know. She she was one of those things, one of those those artists with a huge amount of, amount of potential uh, that uh, just for whatever reason burned out and didn't uh, didn't didn't amount, didn't amount to much. Her uh, her big song was one of the big songs that uh, we danced to at uh, my wedding, Mr. 25th Anniversary. Oh, what was, oh, what was that? Try. <laughs> I don't know. I really don't remember. That was, yeah. I try. I try. Oh, okay. Yes. Wait a second. You, you, you dance. Your first song was. No, no, that was not our first song. Our first song, our first song was choreographed. Oh, good. Was an old Gaelic song, and my wife said to me, whispered into my ear, "Lead like you've never led before." <laughs> Yeah, because you're only going to get this one chance. You know, we were talking about dancing at at weddings today as part of this 25th anniversary thing that we're undergoing right now. And my wife remembered something that I said uh, 25 years ago, which was, uh, don't expect me to dance. I'll dance at our wedding and I'll dance on your grave. (laughs) Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter or Facebook. And get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.